Gaming on the Frontier. This is Bruce. This is Trav. And this is Jonathan. Welcome to Gaming on the Frontier, your podcast of going from the depths of the earth to the grand vault of heaven and always finding something new to do. I didn't know this was here. Ooh, look at that. Look at the view from up here. Welcome to Gaming on the Frontier. This week, we are... Uh, we're, we don't actually have a topic like we normally do. We are instead going to talk about how we have pushed ourselves as game masters, in, uh, uh, not as players, but as game masters in the last two years. Because, you know, COVID, a lot of opportunity to do new and unusual things. So, a lot of gaming groups kind of went, eh, and a lot of stuff doing remotely, but you know we always say that uh, that gaming on the frontier is about you know, not only just bringing the awesome to your game, but also you doing things that push your limits, that push your boundaries, things that you've never done before. And we're going to talk about what we've done in the last two years that we never did before in all the years that we have been doing gaming of various kinds. So and let let let's just put this out here uh, as game masters, right? The three of us as game masters. Um, how long have each of us been game mastering? I've been doing it. I'd say thirty years. I started game mastering my early twenties. I am fifty-two now, so I got three decades. So yeah, I think I'm in about twenty-four, twenty-five years now. Oh, let's see. No, well, you see, yeah, I started. Started game mastering when I was about 15, 16, and yeah, about 43 now, so. Okay. Well, I don't know exact numbers, and uh, uh, but it's been around 40 years. Yeah, I kind of figured that. Yeah, I think you have about 10 years experience on me, Bruce. Yeah. Probably. Oh, who knows? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, no, that's a safe That's a safe. But see, here's the thing is that, you know, you like run five campaigns at once, okay? I run two. <laughs> and for a well, long, yeah, long I'm, I'm time, to, I'm trying to make up for one. lost time. Yeah, yeah. So I'm trying I'm to make up for lost time. It's not the years; it's the mileage. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and again, it's how much you push yourself because you can you can take a very, very safe route. I mean, you know, you could buy campaigns from the various people that produce for various game systems and play certain things and just basically just do it by the numbers. Get very good as a mechanic. Okay, uh, is that the right term? Uh, where you basically are very good at uh, taking printed material that somebody else has come up with and delivering it in a, in a, a competent and fair manner. Okay, and we're not saying that that's bad. We're not. Okay, but we're saying is at some point, I believe that a GM is going to have to put their mark on whatever it is that they're doing. Because I believe that gaming is ultimately a very creative act. 
uh, whether you're a player or whether you're a GM, and somewhere in there, you've got to make your mark, and that's what we're talking about. So, um, uh, uh, who wants to go first? I think I can take a crack at this. Um, all right, let's see. Wild things that I've done. Well, as you all, well, as as you listeners know, at one time or another, all three of us were unemployed during 2020 for various reasons. Uh, I was unemployed for five months, and in that time. I cranked out five campaigns, plotted them out. I had nothing else going on. I didn't have a full agenda. So I made five separate campaigns. Basically, this works out to one cam- campaign a month, plotted out, planned. NPCs are made, basic plot lines done. I've got a notebook for each one, and I've since started running two of them. Uh, and just, yeah, I just, I had nothing going on. I did it to avoid getting into any type of funk after losing the old job after 27 and a half years. I had to keep busy. And so it it just, for me, the, the juices were flowing. And I just, you know, I cranked out just, as I said, I've got two of them now that I've started. Um, and they're working out good. It's because I sat there and just, you know, the autistic hyper-focus just kicked in there and, okay, writer's cramp because I'm just writing pages and pages of stuff and making up NPCs and researching. And uh, one or two might, you, you know, I think are of certain intellectual properties, so I had to research them in order to, you know, get everything right. And, yeah, I did it as a way of just keeping the mind focused because I was dealing with... You know, a job that I thought I was going to retire from, you know, I got laid off late October of last year, 2020. So I'm just like, what? (laughs) Preach it, man. But I just, it was, that was my big thing is just, I had all these, and I joke around that I'm going to have enough ideas where I'm not going to be able to run them all. <laughs> it's like, I'm 52 now, and I know I got more ideas that would last easily. If I were to live to 110, I'd probably get them all out. Not seeing that happen, but, you know. But, yeah, I just, it was a coping mechanism to just deal with, well, to deal with the funk of that happening and to make sure that the funk didn't get worse. Like I didn't slip into any type of depression or anything. Because I didn't want to do that. I had to sit there and, you know, okay, survive. And, you know, how am I going to, without this job. And I just went into my gaming, which is what I do when I got something coming up. Right. And they've, and, they've done a number of studies, which has proven that one of the best ways to fight depression and alienation and all this kind of stuff is to join a gaming group. Gaming is, in fact, an inoculation against a lot of these kinds of things. Oh yeah, I mean, and it, I mean, it, it, it's a great, and because of how popular and mainstream tabletop gaming has become, yeah, it's it is a social meeting. You are interacting with people, and you get to know them, and they sort of become like families. As I said, I posted recently on on social media. Once I get because most of my gamers that can come in, they're they're already immunized. I've just had to wait because I was in the hospital, and they said, "Well, because you were in the hospital and you got treated, you got to wait ninety days." 
well, about two weeks from this taping, is my 90 days is going to be up. So once I get inoculated, you know, get, you know, what they call the Fauci-ouchie, I'm going to start having gamers back. Because as much as I've enjoyed the Skype and Discord game, it, it what's the term the youngins use? It's getting a little played out. I want gamers back in my living room. I just, I enjoy having them here. And Fur has even noticed, you. it's almost like you're performing. And I said, well, you know, you know, with, with, with GMing, you have to have a bit of a God complex. So yeah, just, I mean, you are technically creating whole universes and cosmology. So yeah, God complex comes in and yeah, I mean, those who know me as Trav, yeah, there, there's a bit of ego involved. So I've missed that. The occasional. I see know, myself I more as a stage manager than a God. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I like that analogy too. Yeah. No, no, I'm a god. Just go ahead and... I'll, yeah, I'll, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm narcissistic <laughs> enough, I would say, except... There you have it, friends. Yeah, there you go. It's, <laughs> if you wondered, not... there you are. Primary motivation. They Both of my co-hosts want to be worshipped. Oh, well. <laughs> and this is where I just sort of motion down my body. I'm, Hi, Trav. Yeah. Um, but no, I just... Yes. Oh you God! Get, let, you get all of this. All <laughs> this. Oh yeah. And this is where. Well, we can't do it because it's not pod safe. But starting up, let's get it on by Marvin Gaye. Well, actually, oh, I was I thinking more along the lines of what was in How to Train Your Dragon, where he kept saying, "You just waved at all of me." <laughs> <laughs> and then finally, at the end, you know, he said something nice about him. And he said, "You just waved at all of me." <laughs> Uh, oh yeah, I think I've heard that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was, oh, it's, a, it's a really it's a it's a running gag that's actually very nice at the end. They do it has a good uh, payoff. So yeah, How to Train Your Dragons is always going to be one of our favorite films in our household because my wife loves dragons. Ah, okay, you know. Oh, let's see what. Try, okay, uh, sequel to the Robotech Nightbane game that I ran the previous the game before the Bureau Thirteen campaign. I just ran up. Um, so now you're going to give us an example. Is that what you're doing? Well, I'm just the five that it did. Um, well, let, let's, let's go in. I don't know if we have time to, to do all that because I, let's, let's just, why don't you just pick, you know, your, you know, your, the, your best one and just oh, tell us why. Like you know, saying, kid is your favorite. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Favorite. Then pick the first one. The point is, is that, you know, <laughs> you know, well, it's kind of, it's kind of easy for you and me. We each only have one kid. So yeah. The one that gave you the biggest headache. Oh, well, you, yeah. You mean the would... kid I have, or the or the dream kid that was in my head? Oh. <laughs> yeah. Oh, hey, Eric, how you doing? Yeah, hey. Um, uh, no, uh, oh, no, man. seriously. Uh, talk about because we we want to talk about how these these things were challenges to us and how we really pushed ourselves with it. So yeah, we did it under very you know a lot of them under dire circumstances and such. But tell us what how these particular campaigns that you're t you're going to talk about really challenged you and be specific. Feel free to. Okay. Well, the Robotech Nightbane game had to dig out all the old notes and research that and make sure I I'm a stickler for continuity. Bruce knows this. And just yeah, I wanted to make sure I didn't contradict stuff that the players had already done. Right. Because and Nightbane and Robotech are both Palladian uh, yeah. games, right? Yes. yes. And also okay. I'm running it with you know the Pathfinder OGL D20 rules, which means I have to sit there and convert mecha and stuff. So I knew going back into that game, because I started as Palladium, 
transferred them to OGL rules for a little bit, then went back to Palladium. This one, it's all OGL, which means the majority of the work is on me because I got to make the mechs, the weapons, armor. I got to, I'm still trying to get the right stats to make a Zentradi, you know, so that's a lot of work. And also, I'm trying to keep it true to the setting. Like, rule, uh, spells are cast differently in the Palladium Magic System than they are in OGL. So I have to, you know, make sure with that. And also, someone who will remain nameless, Jeff DeRef, is playing someone from the Harry Potter world, which is in the Fringeworthy books. So, and yes, please refer to the adding Fringeworthy Harry Potter episode that we did years ago. Um, so I have to sit there and start researching Harry Potter. Which, and, and, and there are people that love the fandom. I'm not a particular fan. I don't hate it. It's just first movie bored me. The second one put me to sleep. But I have to have the Harry Potter wiki up and ready because I want to make sure that I do service to Jeff's character, basically a Death Eater. And I got to make sure that that's right. So there's a lot of research, a lot of work for the Robotech Nightbane campaign. And it's a sequel campaign. Um, pulp campaign based on the Wold Newton universe. You know, the whole thing, Philip Jose Farmer, Tarzan and Doc Savage are distantly related. And just, yeah. So I had to research all of that stuff and that whole massive lineage. And I found the French role-playing game based on the, um, the World of Tears series that Farmer did 60 years ago i don't read french but i mean it's nice to have the art um also researching various sites and when scott eckert's work the man who basically has taken over uh monitoring this whole body of work that farmer started so more research there for that uh let's see the third one sort of a adult more or less comic-y gi joe transformers game where you have soldiers, they find the ship, and now they have sentient mechs who are their buddies, and but not so comic booky. So I bought a whole butt ton of trade paperbacks that had to do with the whole Hasbro Heroes universe, where it's G.I. Joe, Transformers, Mask, um, Rom the Space Knight. And this is a massive body work that's been throughout the 20 teens. So I've bought more than a few trade paperbacks and, you know, trying to get the, the feel for this campaign, but not make it so comic booky. Uh, FTL 2448 with Pathfinder rules, which means I had to dig out the old 92 double book set that Rich did and trying to convert the races and keep true to Rich's vision. And because that's my Friday group and they, yeah, they know of Bureau 13 Fringeworthy, but not of this other game. So I'm having to explain it to them, like how the starships work and all this. And then my fifth one. I got to see it here real quick. Uh, oh, har a hardwired hinterland game again with OGL rules. So I had to read the, Second edition Hardwired Hinterland. Yes, it is available at TriTechGames.com. And so trying to adapt that to the... So a lot of it was adapting to rules and research. And I just... The hyper-focus kicked in and just, okay, got one done. Okay. 
empty out the pitcher, pour in new information. That was something in the past two years I had to do. It was to just keep my mind focused and off the fact, oh, crap, where am I going to work next? Um, and as I said, two of them have already started, and it's already gangbusters, and the players are loving them. So I know that that five months of work has not gone in vain. And like I said, I probably will get another creative first sometime and crank on another two or three. But for me, five campaigns in as many months, I've never done anything like that before. But I was pressed to keep myself out of the dark, let's say. And I'll probably drop hints of how these campaigns are going in future podcasts as examples for whatever topic we may pursue. But yeah, that was my thing. Just probably the biggest creative burst I've had since working on Bureau 13 OGL back in 506, you know. A good good burst of... Uh, what was that, John? That's a good burst of uh, spontaneous uh, speed world world creation. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I knew of all these various fandoms and intellectual properties and whatnot, but it was just getting to work. And as I said, I, I, I spent a decent amount of money on <clears throat> source material. <laughs> and just, yeah, I have never done anything like that. And I said, I've been game mastering for 30 years, but just to crank out campaign after campaign after campaign, fully ready to go, just peep, whatever night I play it, the people have to make their characters and hit the ground running. It just, I'm still looking back and I look at these books and I'm just like, I did this. I had this capacity. I guess when, you know, my back's against the wall, you know. Okay. All right. So, it, 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 as you said, it's, it's uh, your big challenge that you did uh, was uh, creating these campaigns and having to do all this research and, and game system conversion. And, yeah. Yeah. Um, and making sure that you uh, kept your continuity really good. Yes. Okay. All right. Jonathan, um, you don't have to uh, describe yours that way. Uh, how, <laughs> what, what would you say was the, uh, the biggest thing that you did in the past two years? Uh, one of the biggest ones, um, I'd say I have probably two big ones, but the, one of the biggest ones was getting my, um, my oldest son into D&D. Um, and he is nine now. Uh, he was eight when we started. And I have never actually, in all my years, never ran uh, any type of RPG for anyone younger than, say, 16 years old. So it was just a challenge learning how to keep this young mind focused enough to not distract from the other players, which for our group was just him and my wife, his mother. Um, so, but even then, sort of trying to keep everybody entertained and not pulling out my own hair from him wanting to just chase the butterfly. Or in this case, hack the butterfly into little pieces. <laughs> so that was just, just, that was a learning experience for me is learning how to deal with younger gamers, which I'd never honestly had to do before. I've had to deal with They're young... a bloodthirsty lot, aren't they? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've tell, I've, I mean, I am a, uh, I have a bachelor's bachelor's degree in drama. I've taught child acting classes before and improv courses before, but never had to deal with 
my own child in a much more structured game environment. And that it was a challenge. I've had, I've had it was a test of patience and, um, mm-hmm. in, and my own improvisational skills. And oh, yeah, that was fun. It was it was very fun. And it's still it's still a work in progress. Uh, we're probably going to introduce his um, oldest or yeah, his oldest sister. And soon she's about to turn seven and I might try adding her into the mix to see what happens. Whew. There is a certain age to, and because I game mastered with Shelly, I ran her in a solo campaign, I think two of them. And she was like nine, 10, 11, 12. But also I feel your pain there because for a while in my Saturday game, first son Ramses, who uh, he was eight at the time, Mm-hmm. Autism and ADHD. So yeah, there were times he would hyper focus if he really liked it. If not, he had his tablet, and I'm like, "Ramsey, it's your turn. What are you doing?" You know, oh, yeah. and just no. I feel your 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 joy of doing that, and I feel your pain <laughs> because yeah. yeah. I think what's going to end up happening in our case is that we're going to just move systems because um, right now we're playing fifth edition D and D, but I think I'm going to switch over okay. to the Amazing Tales system, which is you know, a game made to teach younger gamers tabletop role playing. Oh, okay. Hmm. And it's much more freeform. It, the mechanics are much simpler. Um, it when you read the book, you can tell it's meant to be a parent running a child through a game, through yeah. a storyline. Um, but I'm I'm definitely going to try. I've, I've already played it once with all three of the children and even the the three year old. Wow! And I mean, it was a, it was fun. It was a, a wonderful mix of my son playing, you know, Sir Gigglepants, the human knight, and two My Little Ponies. Okay, yeah. It, hmm. it was an it was an interesting adventure. Um, but we might end up. I might take our current uh dnd campaign and just kind of shift it over to that system and maybe that'll help keep things a little less uh what's what i'm looking for headache inducing for myself ah uh, yes 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 <laughs> um so that's probably been the biggest um challenge i've pushed myself through this year the other one uh, it has been um my own D&D campaign I've been building, um, which is still in the building phase, but I decided I wanted to go back. First off, it's a completely original D&D campaign setting that I haven't, I haven't done that in since I was maybe my early twenties. Yeah. Pretty much since I turned like 21, 22, I've always been running in either, uh, established, you know, D and D worlds like Dark Sun or Forgotten Realms, or it was the same D and D world I'd been building since I was in high school. Okay, so this was the first time I said, you know what, I'm going to start fresh with a complete new, completely new world. I'm not even going to touch my old stuff. And I decided, well, since I'm starting fresh, we're also going to start off completely fresh. So I decided this is going to be a campaign set in the Bronze Age. Like right as the human civilizations have started to take over, their humans are coming onto the scene. And you know what? Just to make it even more difficult for myself, there 
are no gods yet. The humans and and all the other civilizations are going to be making their gods as they go along. Ah. So I kind of took some uh, I took some ideas from um, uh, mythic odysseys of Theros that D and D put out, which has um like a, a kind of detailed piety system for okay. for your gods, and I've I've been working on a system where it's like a two way piety street, so. Worshippers get more ability as they, you know, devote, you know, devote themselves more to a god, but also the god gets more abilities as they get more worshippers. Ah, so it's 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 going to be the, uh, you know, uh, at some point you're going to start getting some um, convert or die scenarios going on because they want their god to be as powerful as possible. Yeah, exactly. I like right now it's still fresh, you know, these I'm I'm I was heavily inspired by uh Terry Pratchett's Small Gods. Mhm. Yes. And so I'm yeah, I'm ta- that. taking that idea. These are That's an excellent book by the way for if for oh, yeah. people who don't really want to get into the huge Terry Pratchett Discworld mythology, that's a very nice little self-contained story. Oh yeah. Um but yeah, I'm taking this idea. These are little spirits that have a little bit of power and can maybe help you, help you out a little bit. And if you devote yourself to them, they can give you a little bit of power. And the more power you give them, they can give you and to others. And so, yeah, that would be the idea is as these human civilizations are growing, so are the religions around them. And I, I, I have much, I have huge plans for this world outside of that because it's also going to be a, I've already got like smaller campaign ideas for other time periods and like, you know, the equivalent of the iron age and the equivalent of the Renaissance and all that kind of stuff. Mm. So, oh, so you're playing the long game. Yeah. This, this I world. want this to be okay, a long yes. game campaign setting. Oh yeah. yeah. So when you say long, what are you really talking about? Well, that's the thing. I, when I first, when I get ready to run this campaign, I will probably like start off in this Bronze Age setting, and then I'm just going to let it go from there. If if I have fun in this time period, then I'll keep fleshing it out. I'll keep exploring it. But if me or the players say, you know what, we've had fun, we've we've built this legacy, now let's explore it, you know, a hundred years down the line or a thousand years down the line and see how the the legacy we built here has grown and expanded in the years. That's what I'm looking forward to playing around with. The the ever the, the march of time, so to speak. Usually and and I'm I'm not bad mouthing or anything. Usually when I see campaigns like that that go through the history of a world, it invariably gets connected to, oh, these characters are immortal. They've let 500 years pass. All their friends that they knew are dead except for them. Usually a campaign like that, a meta campaign, it's along the lines that there are immortals involved, that they have survived all this time. I don't know if I want that idea, though. Cause oh, no, no, I'm not saying... I'm not. Yeah. I'm not trying to push it. I'm just... That's what I usually see when I see a longitudinal campaign like that. And that was the word I was looking for, longitudinal, where they do that. And there's some type of immortality involved, you know, maybe 
your character's gods grant these guys immortality or whatever, and they're alive 500 years later and they've watched technology grow. Or it's like an immortal Highlander type thing. Either way, those are what I usually see. But you just totally different campaigns. There may not be a link. Oh, I'm the descendant of, you know, so-and-so the hunter. And no, it totally new characters, no connection. It's just they're in the same world. Yeah, that's what I want to do. As I, yeah, I, no, no. I, 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 same great world, idea. You know, this is the history. Yeah, it, it, the only difference is the history the players helped me write. Yeah. Yeah, I wanted, it, when I did my first D&D campaign, I wanted it to be generational. Um, I even told the characters, I said, between each adventure, at least a year is going to pass. Your characters are going to age. So you should plan on that. You should plan on getting married and having kids. And at some point, your kids are going to be inheriting all the gear that you have amassed in your in your uh, oh. explorations. Mm -hmm. And then they will carry on for you into the future. And uh, that kind of worked not so well. Uh, they, you know, the <laughs> players were a little bit too invested. As, as of course, you know, and, and the ones like, well, I'm playing an elf, and you know, I live a thousand years. So, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, it's yeah. like you know, the humans are like, well, let's see here, five adventures, and I'm ready to retire. So, um, I don't like that. Uh, where's those pushes? Of it? But let, but that put that aside. I just say that was my plan. It didn't work out as well as I'd hoped, but. Um, but that was one of the options that I was trying to go for because I just always felt like uh, uh, campaigns where literally it seems like you just finished one adventure and bang, you're into the next adventure. You hardly have time even to train. You know, people are going from first to 20th level within a year, within two years, maybe. Okay. It was just seemed ridiculously short period of time for, for that to happen. So I, I have no problem with that. If you're doing like, fantasy land you know the the classic you know magic and gods exist and so yeah you can rise from the peasantry to become a king and you yeah, know an amazing amount of time doing that then because they're not special oh really? they don't have a player running them <laughs> uh, yeah okay but uh, yeah i mean but yet at the same time i also enjoy the the the, the um the more slower build up, like what what I did with my Bureau 13 campaign, which was run over, you know, years and it was pretty much in real time in the sense that if it was like two months since the last time we played, it was about two months. You could expect it. It was about two months since the, the characters last went on a mission. Okay. So, yeah, it was, you know, there wasn't, that one was more of a, typically I, when I was running that Bureau 13 campaign, it was monster of the week type of deal. And there usually wasn't a grand overarching plot until like my last year of running it. So, but yeah, I, I, I'm looking forward to, but yeah, during this uh, bronze age campaign, my biggest challenge in addition to developing this sort of deity making system was also, I don't know that much about bronze age history and technology so i went on a deep dive on youtube and and wikipedia and all sorts of online sources just learning bronze age history as much as i could okay doke all right all right well i guess it's my turn um uh, and so uh, i um uh, i i'm not 
you know, in, in, in usually in the mode of creating new campaigns per se, in the you know, in the way of whole new worlds, except for the fact that I play Fringeworthy, in which case I am. Because <laughs> it's all about going to an alternate earth or something like that, and you end up pretty much playing a whole new thing, you know. Uh, but uh, I actually did do that um, in, uh, in in the like the last year or so. Um, uh, I actually did between Bureau Thirteen and Fringeworthy in the last two years. I would say that I did um, a total of two, three, four, five, six, seven major new things that I've never done before. But I'm just going to tell. I'm going to I'm going to go right to the top. The one that was really the 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 most biggest challenge that I had that that I was doing, and it was called Against the Elves. Uh, in Bureau Thirteen, uh, we know that there are realms. They're 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 like pocket dimensions, you know, other types of things, and creatures can come from those into the Bureau Thirteen world, usually through portals and other types of things like that. Uh, and way way back, and I'm talking way back in episode, I think it was two, of uh, of. <coughs> of Terror Watch, okay, the Bureau 13 newsletter, uh, there was an adventure where uh, elves were coming through and trying to take over uh, a section of Ohio. Yeah, I think I remember reading that now, yeah. Right, and I ran that adventure, and the upshot of it was, is due to the choices of the players and whatnot, uh, they ended up getting getting rid of the elves and forcing them back into their realm by calling in a orbital strike. Basically a you know, a giant orbital beam weapon that the Bureau had, uh, either on the moon or, uh, or, or in orbit or whatever. Think if you've seen Akira, think of that thing that's up in the sky and starts firing at uh, Tetsuo. Um, the hammer of God. Yeah. The thing is that this thing was big enough to of course take out like a County. All right. So, and basically just blasted the elves of smithereens. Well, now many years later, uh, the Bureau is actually contacted by some people from the elven realm. And they tell them that uh, there's a new king, uh, the son of the previous king, the previous king who was. Uh, not only defeated, but essentially um, uh, humiliated by the defeat. And he decided that he was going to not just pay back, but show the human world that the, the, their, their rightful relationship to the elves. And so they were going to take out a big section. Uh, I mean, they were going to take out America. Was oh. their plan, okay? And the way they were going to do it was is that they were going to figure out a way of making nuclear weapons with magic. Oh, what, could what could possibly go wrong there? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I said, the, that was that was the uh, the new prince that basically said, oh, "We're gonna we're gonna get together all the best mages and uh, from all the different magical schools and things like that, and we're gonna." figure this out and we're going to basically 
you know, we, you know, uh, put the smackdown on the human world for what they did to us, and then we'll take, you know, we'll either take them over or or we'll we'll allow them to show give us the appropriate tribute, you know, and, and you know, and, and let, give them some autonomy under, of course, you know, proper amount of oversight. We'll let you be our vassals. Right. The agents, basically, these were a bunch of, of uh, elves who basically had gotten tired of this whole uh, hered... I'm saying it wrong. Hereditary rulership. Where, you know, one family, you know, you know become the, the, the children of that family becomes the new rulers. Everybody else bows down. It's, you know, this traditional. And they said, we want to have something different where we have more say. We're the people at lower levels, especially the the merchants and the the not the biggest landowners and everybody else. You know, we have more of a say in our government. We have more of a say in our in in deciding how our 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 country, our realm, plans for the future. Okay, rather than the, the, than the whim of a essentially a king, you know. Uh, who may have only selfish motives. So they said, what we want is we want you to help us ruin this project, which is good for you, but also will allow us to embarrass the king to the point where we can cause hopefully a bloodless revolution, at least a, 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 a less bloody revolution, and replace our current monarchy system with something more along the lines of the House of Lords. Pharaoh uh. 13 said, sounds fine. How do we help? And he says, well, we have, you know, he, the king was putting together this team of uh, scientists, and there's three people who were, have these really crazy ideas, and so they were really out there. I mean, nobody wanted them. No, they, they were basically living a life of self-exile in the, in their schools out in the, you know, away from the major cities and stuff like that. They were essentially, you know, the way a hermit would be inside of a, inside of a uh, educational institution. You know what I'm saying? You know, one of those curmudgeon type of professors that does his own research and everybody just leaves them alone. Yeah. Right. We can't get rid of him. He's got tenure, but exactly. But at the same time, is that yes, you know, he has to teach classes, got to do stuff, you know. But but otherwise, we just kind of ignore this crazy notions they have. Well, the king's like, we want crazy notions. We're going to take these people, and so he said, we're going to have you replace them. Your humans are going to be changed into elves, and you're going to go and 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 take over, you know, basically impersonate them, and defeat, you know, ruin the project, okay, and, you know, and allow, and, and basically, you know, really embarrass the king, and so we'll be able to go and do this, and, and the bureau says, that sounds great, you know, and they, they call up their team, which is my players, and they said, look, you know, we're, this is kind of a black ops thing, okay, you know, but it is for the ultimate goal of the, um, the, the continuation of the American Republic, you know, that's so you're going to get a lot more lee, leeway than you normally would get on an adventure because I have a cascading list of of, of ethics where you can violate a, a, a lower one as long as it's in direct support of a higher one. So, for example, you could kill people 
if it's say you know if if it protects the United States from basically falling apart, for example, you know there's a, there's a whole list of them, and uh, I they they've been published before. I'm not going to go through them right now, but the point was is that they knew they'd have a lot of leniency. So what we did was is that um, uh, I I had to do a number of things. A I had to create a whole elven realm. Oh yeah, didn't have one of them. Okay, and I will freely admit that I stole from anime like crazy <laughs> oh okay because <laughs> i mean they've got magic schools they got you know uh uh elite you know uh uh hierarchies and things like that you know with landowners and things like that so i mean i kind of stole from you know, you know uh, the uh the familiar of zero and all these other ones where they have like magical schools and such you know and uh and, and and brought the they're they're all working out in this building behind the main castle, you know, with a bunch of other crazy NPC uh, types. Basically, every magic school, um, except a couple, because they didn't think they'd need them, uh, had um, uh, was that you know had their own representative, the best of the best. Okay, uh, but they were also ones that were fairly experimental. So the three that these guys were supposed to be was A, was um, uh, geomancy. Uh, I'm sorry, not geomancy. Um, uh, alchemy. Alchemy. Uh, they did have an alchemist, but his ideas were that he could, sh that, 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 that not only could things be made from one element to another, and by the way, their table elements stopped with lead. Ah, okay. They had no idea about transuranic elements, but they're going to try to make nukes. All right. So, but this guy thought that maybe it was possible for elements to exist in more than one form, and therefore, uh, might this might be a way of getting to what they were trying to do. Uh, his particular ability was called uh, the rape of the elements. Your area of study is the essential nature of primary elements, earth, wind, fire, air, and spirit, and how they manifest in the secondary elements, which is known as our periodic table. You're trying to figure out ways to transform dead elements into live elements, otherwise nucleotides. Okay? Uh -huh. All right? Jeez. Then we had someone else who was in, an, was in a magic school that did not exist which was called either wizardry or dynamancy, as I called it. Basically, the basic transformation of energy. Okay, that did not exist in the Elven Kingdom. He was, again, one of these crazy scientists, okay? This was called the essential sun, uh, sun of the spheres. Your area of study is the transformative nature of energy. Why substances, substances react as they do. The essential forms of matter, uh, liquid, Vapor, solid, and maybe something else? They don't know about plasma. Ah, okay. okay. <laughs> and then finally, um, one third category, one third thing, which they did, again, also had a category for, but, uh, and he was representing it, but they didn't go in the direction that he did. And before I go there, I have to talk about the magic system. I created a brand new magic system for these people. Okay, it's a... It's essentially, it's based on a grammar, on how you put together a sentence to create a magical effect. So essentially, you have seven words, up to seven words, 
to basically say what it is that you want to do, okay? We are using English because that's the language that the players know, okay? Yeah. But we're saying, but it's really elvish, you know, just, just you know, hand wave this, okay? Essentially, what I said was, is that take all the primes, uh, number all the letters from uh, from one to uh, to Z and maybe more, but nobody ever went there. Uh, and and any number that's a prime is important. And so what you do is is that you uh, uh, you cannot use a prime more than once in in the sentence. Okay, you take the number of uh, of primes that are in a word multiplied by the total number of primes you used multiplied by the total number of words that have primes. Oh. Okay. That total number altogether is the maximum level of spell level that you can cast. And it worked out to be around 40. 40th level. So people who had the ability... To, now they still had to, uh, they, they still had to be able to cast it, okay. But the point was is that you could build a spell up to that level, you know, uh, what you're trying to do, you know, depending upon the, the, um, uh, the primes you used. And so the players were just going crazy trying to come up with all these different ways of saying things, you know, and and using the grammar. So one player in particular just went absolutely bonkers with it. And this is what, and this is where it was important because what he his special ability was, is that he was in fortuity, and because of fortuity, which is the ability of 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 uh, uh, luck and things like that, he also had the ability to by by force of belief, he was able to create as if there were one more prime in his sentences which meant that he could cast things at 50th level where everybody else could cast it at 40th level ah uh -huh. once he worked this out okay this was called the ineffable strength of will your ability to study is how the power of will and belief can alter reality and make something that doesn't exist come into being up till now it's been more of a psychological positive thinking which has closely linked uh, been closely linked to magic spell completion. In other words, if you fail to cast a spell, it's because you didn't basically believe it enough, and when you fail, you suffer from mental stability loss. And that Ooh. was so that that was always been true uh, of the way I have run my, my my game. So, but because of this, he was able to not only make a lot of his spells really possible by pumping them up using uh, Fortuity to make the spell 100% chance of being going off, but then he was also able to pump up the power of it because he was able to treat the spell as if it was one more prime, which was allowed him to cast it up to like 50th level. This was super important because in this campaign, there's two ways of making, of, of making magical protections. One is, is to cast your spell at such a high level, someone has to cast it higher in order for it to get past your shielding. The other way uh, is to just make something uh, impervious, uh, you know, like a spell or protection. I'm, I'm protected against fire. Nothing, no, no fire can hurt me. But 
the other person can cast, and the only way for that to go down is for someone to cast Dispel Magic. And dispel, and you have to cast at a higher level than they cast in order to dispel the spell. Yeah. Again, being able right. to cast at 50th <laughs> level versus 40th level, which was the theoretical maximum for spell casting, was pretty awesome. So, anyways, I was like, okay, so I'm giving you all this. You should be able to go and, you know. And, and create, you know, uh, you know, uh, show that this can't, this can't be done. They did not do this. They decided <laughs> that they were going to make magical nukes. <laughs> I'm like going, you're doing the very thing you were told not to do by the bureau. You know that, right? Of course they do that. <laughs> so, anyway, so they're struggling. They, they really were challenged. They're struggling figuring out how to make bad. Yeah, how how work? You know, they had to work together, which is also something not really used for them because the one guy had to uh, figure out a way of of making a um, a material, uh, uh, an element that was uh, highly radioactive in its natural state, and they went with Californium, which exists in only microscopic material, but because he had alchemy, he could convert like lead or something into oh, California boy. in large quantities. So he could make <laughs> he could he could basically make, you know, the, the the what he needed in order to make a bomb. Okay. We had um the uh uh the player with the ineffable uh, son of the spheres making uh you know uh, uh, basically pumping energy into it and force uh, so that it basically, be, you know, again, becomes a, a, a very powerful thing. And then finally, you know, we have uh, the ineffable strength of will casting it as, at, a, at a much higher level than he should have been able to, to, to up the spell as, as high as could possibly happen. And yes, it's, and then they invited the king to come over and watch their demonstration. And the demonstration was supposed to be in this big magic circle about a mile away from this fortress where they were doing all their research. But instead, they set it off in the room they're at with the king. Oh, dear God. <laughs> <laughs> Intentionally so. Okay. But they also had just a whole string of, um, of, of uh, enchanted triggers that made sure that the last thing that happened was the bomb went off after they got teleported away, after they took down everybody's protections, after they did all this stuff, and <laughs> boom. The, uh, the thing that they were not expecting was the fact is that, the, you know, the elves were trying, the rest of the elves, they weren't working with the rest of the elves, by the way. They were only working with each other. And the rest of the elves were still trying to do the project the right way, you know what I'm saying? You know, you know, and so they said, well, we need something really, really explosive. So what are we going to do? And they actually went out into the, um, uh, they, they took a trip out to the elemental realms. And they actually brought back these, these creatures that looked like little kids, you know, but they were not human. They were more like humanoid, more like Gumby. Okay. If you know what that is. Okay. But they, uh, uh, like little mini um, uh, earth elementals or whatever. They were called Heart of the Mountains. These things, when you get them too excited, they explode and cause volcanoes. They said, this would be a perfect thing for us to make our nukes around. 
In other words, we don't know how to make a nuke, but I bet if we get this thing to explode, it would be like a nuke. <laughs> well, when they set off that bomb, there were 23 of these little guys oh, about 100 feet good away. Good Lord. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> Which turned into a 2,000-foot-tall, up to 800 to 1,000-foot-wide energy elemental of the likes of which no one has ever seen and probably will not see ever again, who, you know, who proceeded to just start destroying everything around them for miles just by existing. And they had to take it out, otherwise it would have destroyed the entire Elven realm. So, that was a lot of work. That was hard. <laughs> yeah. I, was, I, would, I mean, they were challenging me. I was challenging them. I was like saying, what are you going to do now? You know, I told them at the beginning of that session before they start, they set the nuke off. I says, well, time to kill some player characters. <laughs> and they're all like, oh, yeah? And I said, yeah. And we're... <laughs> So glaring at each other. Yes, we we had at each yeah. other, and they uh, and and we did kill one player character. One one player character basically decided that he needed to, to in order to to take down this final thing. This you know, and he did. He basically uh, uh, set off this one spell, which basically encapsulated in this like timeless void forever. Basically, it turns into a you know a two thousand foot tall. Pillar of salt, you know, <laughs> just yeah. there. That's there now. Okay, and 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 uh, no one knows if, you know, any and they and at which point they all kind of said, okay, let's leave, and they did, and they went back to the human realm and got changed back into their regular bodies, and we went on to the next adventure, but that was at least six months. I I, I have to look here. Uh, how long ago? I first when when did I first send them that information? It was let's see January seventeenth, twenty twenty one. I started this, uh, yeah, right about the middle of uh, COVID. It was, and of course, that wasn't the planning of it. That was before that, but uh, that was that was probably the biggest thing that I have ever done. Um, they, they traveled back to the human world a couple of times trying to get resources they needed in order to complete their plans. I mean, they, I had them running up against the car stairs for help. That's how they, uh, got, yeah. that's how they got all the items. Uh, th those are some, uh, some characters that were added into the D20 edition of Bureau 13. Uh, you know, and, uh, the, 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 the uncle who's the alchemist and whatever they got, you know, like gems that had lots and lots more magic points that they needed they also got some wands that had the ability to create uh triggers and a number of other things so you know they, they basically did a lot of gathering and material and they also made a deal with matthias bolt <laughs> for oh oh that always works yeah out right. no, they, they no, did not ask no. the viewers permission for that and um, see here here is where you sit there and say and it's a line from justice league international a comic book from the early 90s when you shake hands with the devil put your other hand tightly on your soul well guess what that's the character that uh, that's the character that ended up dying and he's now a uh, a torturer in hell
Well, hey. <laughs> what what's that old phrase from uh that old and 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 Bruce would know this. Uh Beretta with Robert Blake, if you're gonna do the crime, be prepared to do the time. Yeah, don't yeah. do the crime if you can't do the time. Yep. yep. This is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there, so go explore them. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. Gaming on the Frontier podcast is wholly owned by its hosts. It is released under the Creative Commons 3.0 license. No commercial reproduction and any use of any element of the podcast must be attributed to the Gaming on the Frontier podcast. Hi, this is Trav from the Travcast. Listen to me Tuesday nights, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern on listen.dementiaradio.org colon 8027.